Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. From Galilee and Judea, from Jerusalem to Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon, basically north, south, east, west, from all directions, everybody's flocking to Jesus, which is not what the Pharisees wanted, not what the religious people wanted. They hate the fact that he's more popular than they are. They hate the fact that he's gaining so much traction with the lost ones. Do you ever get the sense that some people are just trying to get something out of you? They might seem really nice and flatter you and say all of the right things, but what's the catch? What are they really after? In today's message, Pastor James reminds us that Jesus really cares for us. His mission on earth was to save the lost. The Pharisees had their own agenda, but Jesus wasn't playing games. His goal always was and always will be to save souls, the very souls that he created and loves. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 3 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Okay, so the Gospel of Mark, this has been a fun one so far. We're only into chapter three. What we've been watching is just, um, you know, the first chapter and then chapter two kind of deal with these altercations that Jesus has with the religious leaders. He's going around doing a lot of stuff that they're just not happy about. He's breaking their rules. We could say it as simply as that. Okay, Jesus is breaking their rules, their add-ons, their additions. He's not breaking the law. He's not transgressing against the law. Jesus was sinless. Okay, you need to keep that in mind as he's being accused of this or that. He was always going against the religious leaders and all the extra stuff, all the additions that they had put on to God's work, right? So he's breaking tradition. He's breaking, you know, and he's like, no, I came to fulfill the law. That's what I'm here to do. And he was healing people. He's casting out demons. He's doing everything that the Messiah was supposed to do and that they already knew, and they had their checklist of when he shows up, these are the things that he will be doing. And he's doing exactly that. We were talking about how he showed up in a synagogue, and there was a guy there who had a a withered hand. It was his right hand, as uh, Luke's gospel tells us, was completely just without use. No muscles, no tendons, really. I mean, just shriveled up hand. And the religious leaders, scribes and Pharisees and all that were uh, watching to see what Jesus was going to do, if he was going to heal this guy. And, and we saw that that word there, watching, that technically within the Greek, that means that from that moment on, they would continue to watch Jesus, not because they're in awe of him, but because they despise him and they hate him because he's making them all look like fools because he's breaking their rules that they harp on so much. And those are man's traditions and all that good stuff, okay? We experience some of this stuff even nowadays where you have additional things. I don't know if you grew up in church or not, but some of you may have had some church experience where it's like, you can't show up to church unless you're dressed this way. Well, that's a man-made thing. God looks at the heart of the individual, okay? We're always in the habit of doing this stuff. We just, we always add on stuff. 
But Jesus sees a guy, and we talked about this last week, says he beheld this man with the crippled hand, brings him up front, has him there on display, so to speak, and asks the religious leaders, hey, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do bad on the Sabbath? Is it right to, to save a life or to kill a life? And he's really just confronting them with their illogical ideas concerning God's word. And so he confronts them. They don't say anything because, well, they can't say anything. But then he sees, and it's from this moment on, because they're going to go and leave this story, and they're going to plot, they're going to start working on these plots and these plans to kill Jesus. But he penned them, man. He knew it, and he saw the hardness, the callousness of their hearts. And it didn't matter what he said. It wouldn't matter what he would do. These guys were bent and determined to eradicate this problem named Jesus. And we really see that in the rest of Mark chapter 3. But with that, the withered hand gets restored, totally restored, back to normal, all this good stuff. Word is spreading in this Galilee region, and that's where we pick up in verse 7. It says, Jesus withdrew his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed. A tremendous crowd. This crowd is growing. It's expanding from Galilee and Judea, from Jerusalem to Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. Basically, north, south, east, west, from all directions, everybody's flocking to Jesus, which is not what the Pharisees wanted, not what the religious people wanted. They hate the fact that he's more popular than they are. They hate the fact that he's gaining so much traction with the lost ones. And they hate it. The attention's off of them. The focus has now been off of them. And he preaches with authority and he's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's doing what the Messiah was supposed to do. And they hate it. They hate it. But the crowds are growing. It says, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. This is how intense it was getting. These crowds were getting so big and so vast that, I mean, it really was getting somewhat dangerous for Jesus to do ministry because they kept pressing in. They kept pressing in. Says he had healed, verse 10, for he had healed many. So that all diseases, all who had diseases, pressed around him to touch him. That's like a nightmare situation for some of us, right? You're like all these sick people, and I'm I'm just like, uh, like, oh man, Jesus, so much more compassion. I'm like, uh, where's my Purell? But they're like pressing in so that they might be able to touch him. Please know this. Jesus was not opposed to touching the sick. He was not opposed to touching the sick. We already saw that earlier in the Gospel of Mark. He himself reached out and touched the leper, the sickest of them all. He touched the leper. As soon as he made contact with the leper's skin, the leprosy went away. Jesus was not opposed to being touched, so to speak, by these sick people. He wasn't opposed to having sick people come to him. But he also knew, like, the crowds are growing bigger, and they're simply growing bigger because, well, he has a solution to their problem. And the unfortunate side of that is a lot of people will run to Jesus, but only for what he can do for them. 
Not so much for the salvation side of things. And if you don't believe me, just hang on until we get to Mark chapter 6. Because most of these crowds will leave him. Will leave him. Once he starts talking about communion and intimacy with him, they're out. Because all they want is either a free lunch or a healing. It's kind of sad. But he's not turning the crowds away. There's something to be admired about Jesus and how he does ministry. He knows people are out to somewhat take advantage of him, but he doesn't turn them away. He doesn't turn them away. That's hard, especially if you served in ministry and you have this, just a wave of people coming. And you know, sometimes it's just to get something out of it, right? It's hard not to get callous. It, it really is. I'll be honest with you. Serving in the ministry, pastors are a lot like police officers to a certain extent. Over the course of years, you just, you've heard all the stories. You become a little bit callous because I can, you don't have to tell me your story because I can finish your story for you. I've heard this one before, and I know that. And I, oh yeah, I know, you just, need, you just need some money. I get it, yeah, I get it, yeah, I get it. That's the reality of ministry, if I'm honest with you, and you may not like that honesty, but I'll, I'm just going to be real. That's sometimes how it goes. What I love is that Jesus was, he wasn't like that. But he knew when to call these people out and to challenge them. But man, they just kept coming, and I believe they kept coming. Yeah, they wanted something from him, but he was also approachable. He was approachable, unlike his disciples, who were like, Jesus, get rid of these people. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, I'm here for the people. And Jesus, get rid of these kids. He's like, no, no, I'm here for the kids. I'm so much like one of his disciples, so much like them sometimes. I'm like, Lord, I'm tired. He's like, I know you're tired. I know you're tired. Rest comes, there's rest, and it comes in seasons and all that good stuff, but when the lost are showing up at your door, you keep opening the door. You don't turn them away. So they're building, the crowd is building, and he's healing people with the diseases. They want to just touch them. They want some hope. They want something. And I mean, nobody else has solutions for these guys and their suffering, but he does. And they've heard the stories of the leper getting healed by the touch of Jesus. They've heard the story of the lady who had the bleeding problem for 12 years, and she touched the hem of his garment. She had that faith. If I just touch the hem of his garment, that will solve my problem. And it did. And it did. They heard about the little girl who was 12 years old and she was suffering and how Jesus healed her in that same story with the woman with the bleeding issue for 12 years. They've heard these stories. They know he's the one who can help us. We have to get to him. And I would pray that that would continually be our attitude. I don't care where you're at with Jesus and how long you've walked with Jesus and served Jesus and all that good stuff. I pray that your heart and my heart would always be, I just want to get back to him. I just want to get back to him. Verse 11 says, whenever unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. He's like, shut up, zip it. He just silences them. And there's a few thoughts on that. Some people approach this and maybe you've never heard this and you're like, why would he silence them? They're speaking the truth. Yeah, but they're liars. They're liars. Demons, demons are real. 
Please know demons are real. I hope you understand that. I hope you know that Satan, Lucifer, he is real. He's not as powerful or strong as Jesus. We'll see that in a second. But he's the father of all lies. He's the father of all lies. And, and I don't want somebody repping me who's the father of all lies. All right? I don't know. We're not on the same team. I don't need you being my spokesperson. Okay? I want to distance myself from you. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's like, no, 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 not from you guys. The other side of that is this. Now is not the time. It wasn't the time for him in this message to really to go out in that sense. He's there doing all the stuff that they should have been noticing in these identifiers. But as far as this proclamation, him being the son of God, he's, right now he's on a mission and he's healing people and he's casting out demons and all that good stuff. And he is totally submitted to the will of the father. But he doesn't need demons acknowledging who he is. And just so you understand, just like the book of James says, the demons know him and they believe. So that's something when, when demons know like, no, yeah, he's the son of God. No, yeah, he's the savior of the world. No, yeah, he died on the cross for your sins. You should really, don't believe their message or their account of that, but man, it's a sad state when demons know the truth and what, yet we, we oftentimes deny it. So this is what's happening as he's going around the region of Galilee. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He, I mean, it, there's just so much evidence that he is, yes, he is the son of God. So much evidence. And so in the midst of this, he does have his disciples, as we would know them. He had many disciples. I hope we understand that. At one point in time, he sent out like 70-something disciples, right? But he, now he's going to narrow it down to the 12. And here's what he does. We know Matthew's account says that he went up onto a mountain and he prayed all night long before he designated who these guys were going to be. Mark doesn't include that detail, but he just lets us know in verse 13, he went up on a mountain and called to him those whom he desired. I like that. There's something about that that I appreciate. Okay. Anybody can come to Jesus. Anybody can follow Jesus, but there's another aspect to this thing where he does specifically call individuals. He does call individuals. Does it mean like, well, does that mean he doesn't want me? No, that's not what that's saying at all. But for this task and for what he had for the church going forward, he selected these, we'll say 11. He selected Judas. He picked Judas. Never forget that. He picked Judas. He knew what Judas was going to do. He still chose him. He still picked him. But after a whole night of praying, and you got this group of people that are following, Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to take you, I'm going to take you, I'm going to take you, I'm going to take you. Twelve of these guys to set them apart. So for the conclusion of his earthly ministry, he was going to pour and invest himself into them and then set them free to build the church. They were the ones that, whom he desired. And they came to him, verse 14, it says, he appointed 12, 
whom he also named apostles or sent ones so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. That's the key to being an apostle for sure, but that's also key to being a disciple, right? There's this notion that disciples are Christians, but maybe not all Christians are disciples. I don't know if I agree with that. I think I do. I've always... Because you know, you know the, the deal. There's a lot of Christians that love Jesus, have accepted him as their Lord and Savior, but you're not really doing anything. It's like that, I've used this illustration many times. Nobody signed up to play basketball to sit the bench. Nobody. And if you did, I don't understand you. I don't get you. I, I just don't. Because I signed up and I tried out to be on the court. And I hated this rule, hated this rule. To this day, I hate this rule. Let me tell you that right now. I hate it. This fair play thing. I hate it. Because you can only play for so many minutes, and you got to go sit out, and so we can let somebody. I'm like, they're no good. They're no good. Why are you taking us out when they can't play basketball? I hated that rule. Hated it. It still bugs me. I've been 20 years out of high school. Why am I still on this? I don't know. Um, get over it, right? Like, yeah. Anyways, back to the point. You didn't sign up for this to, to ride the pine, right? Like, you didn't sign up for this thing to sit the bench. No, you signed up. A disciple is a student. It's one who sits at the teacher's feet to learn from him, but not just to learn from him, but to go for him, to go make more disciples. He selects these 12 because he wants them to be with him, but then to go for him. He's inviting you today to be with him, but then to also go for him. You can be a Christian and shift it into cruise control and ride on into eternity and glory with him, and you'll be fine. But you'll miss out on a lot. You will miss out on the adventure. You will. You'll miss out on the journey. I say, get in the game. Get in the game. What do you have to lose? You have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. Go for it. I'm not, I, can't, I don't know how to dribble. That's fine. Go stand in somebody's way, set some screens. I don't know. Just get on the court and have some fun playing this game. Verse 15, he says, he's also giving them authority to cast out demons. His, his followers, his disciples here, they, he was giving them the ability to cast out demons. Demons needed to be cast out, especially during this time. For whatever reason, there was a lot of demonic activity. I think I know why. It's because Jesus was there. Um, but there were a lot of demonic activity. And I, I get it. There's a lot of modern scholars today who like to dismiss the whole demon possession thing. It's like it's mental illness. Well, I believe there's mental illness. Don't get me wrong. There's absolutely mental illness. But please don't try to use that to explain away demonic possession, because that's a very real thing. And if you think that's done because the gospel's ended, you're not out there. You're not out there on the battlefield, because I've encountered people, and it wasn't mental illness. It was demonic possession. You know what? It's amazing. You, follower of Jesus, the same authority 
It's being granted to you. Now, don't let that go to your head, okay? Don't start up your own ghost-busting service or anything like that. If you're looking for it, you're a little crazy, okay? You keep walking with Jesus, and you draw close to Jesus, and I promise you this, you'll encounter it. You'll encounter it. But don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I've shared this with you guys before, but there is an acquaintance of mine. I guess I can call him a friend, but he used to serve the college ministry at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. Garrett Beeler is his name and his initials, GB. And uh, in that college ministry, they were doing Thursday nights in Costa Mesa. And he's like, I don't know what the deal was, but man, there was just an influx of people showing up and like just demon possessed there at their college services. And he was like, he, along with some of his friends, I mean, they're praying over people and casting out demons. And so his, his buddies nicknamed him because it's GB, Garrett Beeler. They're like, Ghostbuster, that's your name. And uh, he's like, no, no, I don't want that ministry. He's like, no, I don't want it. He's now a pastor in Southern California, but it was there. It was real. It was real. But these guys had the authority over the demonic realm. They could cast out demons. Verse 6, here's the list. It says, he appointed the 12. You have Simon, uh, who gave the name Peter, or, you know, Rock. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, whom he gave the name Boanerges. I don't even know how to pronounce this stuff. It's the Sons of Thunder, and you're like, oh, that's a sweet nickname. Well, I think it probably had to do with the fact that they were like, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to kill this, you know, wipe out everybody in this town? Like, maybe they were very passionate, or maybe their passion was like misdirected. I don't know, but Jesus like the Sons of Thunder. That's who these guys were. In Bible college, we had nicknames for other guys. We called them Sons of Thunder as well, but that's because they ate too many protein bars. So if you get that, you're like, you know why. But... um. They in nothing for the glory of God, but you're just like, you guys need to get away. Um, anyways, next on the list. So you got Peter. Just so you know, Jesus isn't picking like, I don't know how you say this nicely, the best and the brightest as far as the world's concerned. Peter, fisherman, fisherman, has this issue with speaking before he thinks, kind of have that sometimes. He's very zealous, very passionate guy, but the world's not going to pick him. The religious world certainly is not going to pick Peter. James and John, other fishermen. Uh, he, the list goes on. He's got um, Andrew, who is Simon's brother. He's the one who actually brought Simon to Jesus, and he, was, he would also bring this group of Greeks to Jesus as well. You have Philip, remember him? He was kind of hanging out underneath the tree and Jesus is like, oh yeah, hey, what's up, Philip? You were reading about me in the Old Testament. He's like, what in the world? Um, You got Philip there, you got Bartholomew, you have Matthew, that's the tax collector. He worked for the IRS. Um, He's a traitor to the nation of Israel, okay? Because he's a tax collector working for the Roman government. And then you have Thomas, who was unfortunately nicknamed Doubting Thomas, which is just terrible, so what? He doubted. Like, we're not calling each other doubting, doubting James. I have seasons of doubt as well, but for, forever, you're going to get to heaven, and you're like, where's doubting Thomas, right? And he's like, oh, again, another one. Um, he's like, where'd that come from? But Jesus selected him. Jesus knew he was going to post-resurrection doubt if Jesus was really the Messiah or not. 
He still chose them. He still picked them. Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the Gospel of Mark. This book is fast-paced. You'll notice as you keep studying with us that Jesus was on the move quite a lot. He did what needed to be done, and then he moved on to the next thing. Jesus packed a lot of service into his time here on earth, culminating in the greatest act of sacrifice ever, dying on the cross for everybody. If Jesus was consistently moving and serving, shouldn't we also be doing the same? Our faith doesn't say that we should just sit back and let others do the work. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus right here, right now. So go and do whatever it is that the Lord has gifted you with. Go share the good news of the gospel and then demonstrate it by how you love and serve people. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston and we would love to meet you. Visit breadforthebroken.com for more information. Would you like to do something for us? Would you pray for your fellow listeners? Pray that God would open their hearts and minds to His truth. Please pray for us too, that we would continue to follow Jesus' leading no matter where it takes us. If you feel like God is leading you to partner with us financially, all donations are greatly appreciated, no matter what the size is. You can give securely online at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for coming alongside us in sharing the gospel message. That's all that we have for today. Join Pastor James next time for more here on Bread for the Broken. Let me... Of you, babe.